education. If you don't understand what your job to be done is, if you don't understand what you're substituting for, if you don't understand the framework of the category that you're actually playing within, then um, it's going to be very difficult to change consumer behavior because, you know, large companies spend millions of dollars trying to get you know consumers to change from one type of diaper to the other and struggle to do it if you're really trying to shift consumer behavior in a dramatic way you have to understand you know the the consumer framing on that or else you're not going to be successful david lester co-founder of olipop is on a mission to disrupt the soda category with a healthier alternative this is the second episode in a two-part series In this conversation, we get into the details of Olipop's strategy and challenges and how the team created a brand that looks like soda, tastes like soda, but at the same time is nothing like soda. Welcome to the second season of Brand New Blueprint, a podcast by Smoketown. I'm your host, Ryan Pintado-Vertner. This podcast is all about finding new ways to build brands that can change the world. We hear directly from founders and CEOs, and we don't wait until they're already successful and worth zillions of dollars. We hear from them right now while the paint on the blueprint is still wet. And who is Smoketown? Smoketown is a boutique consultancy that improves the growth potential of emerging brands with better marketing strategy, outsourced marketing staffing, and best-in-class consumer research. In other words, we're nerds about this stuff. Here we go. Quick heads up. If you didn't listen to my first conversation with David, it probably makes sense to go back and listen to that first. This episode starts where the other episode ended. So you're a couple years in at Obi, and it's harder than you expected it to be. How does that end? Um, yeah, I'm probably going to talk to the exact specifics of it, but you know, the, the ultimate sort of the ultimate, uh, culmination of that venture for us was, you know, somewhat painful in that we had to, um, we ended up selling, you know, selling our business, selling a share of our business and, um, you know, for a modest amount and, um, then taking a hard look at what we, what we were going to do next. And, um, you know, it certainly crossed my mind to go back to my beanbag at, you know, a marketing job somewhere. And, um, you know, it was uh, very tempting at the time. Um, but I think, you know, Ben and I both really believed in, in what we're doing, um, felt passionately about the, the social mission we were going after, thought it was important, had seen enough success with Obi to, to understand that we were onto something and, and actually have a lot more validation than when we started that project. And I think importantly, feel like we now had more of the skill set to go and do this. Um, we kind of took some time just to kind of say, Hey, you know, what do we do wrong here? What do we need to, what do we need to front up, you know, as individuals? What, um, how do we need to get better as entrepreneurs? What functional skills do we need? You know, which things, um, which gaps do we need to fill as we build out a team again? And, and we actually took two years to rebuild a new business. Um, cause we said, look, we're not going to go back and do this unless it's something that it, we feel confidently is genuinely better than what we've done before. And, um, so we, you know, took consulting jobs, we worked on the side, we, we hustled a little bit and, um, you know, kind of worked feverishly on this, 
new concept um, with everything that we'd learned. And, um, you know, Ben is a great thought partner for me. And, you know, when the two of us get together in a room and start challenging each other, um, you know, it's, it's kind of feels like it really starts to fire. So I think for me, it's been critical to have a co-founder. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's very tough to kind of like do, you know, do all the lifting yourself. Um, so certainly something, you know, I'd, I'd recommend to people if they can, even if they don't have a co-founder, like find, find someone, a mentor, whatever it is to kind of share a bit of the load. And, um, so yeah, that was just a little over a year ago that Ben and I launched Olipop into market. And, you know, the growth has been pretty explosive and people come to us now and say, wow, it's amazing what you guys done in 12 months. But really it's, um, you know, it's kind of seven years. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't see that full time horizon. Like you have the battle scars and the, the wisdom that comes from having tried this once. And, and when people look at you and Olipop's success, they just see the point in time from when they've heard of Olipop to now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you need that learning. This is, this is a 2.0 concept as well. So, um, you know, um, it helps you get closer to the bullseye on stuff. And yeah, the idea of making a, a functional soda that's low in sugar and, and tastes like a regular soda is not a particularly novel idea, but often, you know, the challenge with these things is like, how do you get the concept really close? Um, you know, I think that's where, say some of the brands I mentioned earlier, like, you know, Impossibles and Beyond Meats and, and Halo Tops have really understood the categories that they're playing in, have the, um, you know, the, the product development skill to, you know, develop a product that kind of like fits consumers' needs and expectations of, of what, what something like that should taste like. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to develop a product that's only got two, three grams of sugar in it and a bunch of, ingredients support digestive health but still tastes like a soda for all intents and purposes and that's um you know kudos and credit to ben for his skin and in product development i think that's that's really important we don't use flavor houses we we've done hundreds of experiments ourselves to get to the flavor profiles that we got to and um you know that's that's an important part of of the success here as well is that you know that that skill that's gone into the product development for anyone in the audience who has had Olipop, I think they can, they would attest to that. I personally, like I'm a big fan of not just the brand and the strategy, but just the flavor profile flat out. I mean, it's just good, period. No trade off yeah. in it at all. Yeah, that's, that's so great to hear, Ryan. And, um, you know, it's, I think the, you know, we, we just recently launched Root Beer at the beginning of this year. We're having a lot of fun with it, like playing in spaces like, root beer floats and stuff um you know we've partnered with everyone from kind of like mammoth creameries on a kind of keto flow that has less than you know five grams in net carbs to um you know eclipse foods um you know a secret item on the menu at chloe's you know kind of plant-based uh root beer float it's really fun because this is stuff that consumers have been told that they can't have anymore it's like these days are gone and we're kind of bringing them back and um, we're doing it with all the Americana and nostalgia that that you would expect and, and love. You know, it's kind of like I think some of the junk food brands and, and I were kind of having all the fun. And it's like, no, we can we can play in that space, too. You know, um, it requires some effort in um, 
you know, in your product development, um, yeah, and, and some rigor in, in, in your concept in order to get there. But, you know, we're in a space now where we can, you know, give people all, all of those things that they love. And it, it's really fun. And, and our goal is to kind of meet people where they are, not shame them for something that they love doing. It's, you know, the awareness around healthy eating is expanding pretty rapidly now. I mean, people know that they should be consuming less sugar. They know they should be consuming more fiber, but making the behavioral switch is really challenging. And, um, you know, it's awesome to hear people saying, Hey, you know, I used to drink four diet cokes a day and now, you know, two of them are a, a vintage cola olipop. Um, you know, they're able to make that, make that switch and, um, you know, get nutrient diversity, get fiber, um, into their diets and, and reduce, um, you know, some of the other, uh, harmful stuff that they're consuming. That's great to hear. When, when you get consumer feedback like that, uh, do you find, like, my question, I guess, is, do you have a sense of what your source of early adoption has been with Olipop? Like, is it people who are looking for a soda substitute because they want to lay off of sugar? Is it people who actually want that health benefit that comes with more fiber? Like, do you have a sense of what your kind of bleeding edge consumer is right now? It's all over the map. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is interesting. And, you know, this is something it was kind of designed to be that way. I mean, soda is so ubiquitous, right? It, mm-hmm. it cuts across gender, age, race. Like, everyone consumes soda. I think on any given day in the US, 50% of adults and 60% of kids are consuming a, you know, a sugar sweetened fizzy beverage. Um, so, you know, we found, say, you know, cutting edge health consumers in LA are kind of, having their minds blown reading our ingredients panel and, and reading slippery elm and kudzu and all these exotic ingredients in there and then tasting it and being like, wow, this is, you know, this is awesome. Equally, we've got elderly people in the Midwest that are ordering cases and cases because they're looking for a convenient way to incorporate more fiber into their diet. We've got kids that, um, you know, their parents have sort of had a number of parents come to us and say, look, I, you know, just ban my kids from drinking soda, but it's kind of challenging because their friends do it and they feel really left out. And this is awesome because I'm now able to give them something that they can participate in this ritual and this cultural experience, but in a way that I feel good about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really been all over the map and, and we're excited now to start exploring all these different avenues and consumer groups. And, you know, the roadmap is, is soda. Like so the soda category has proven that you can do this. You can reach all these people. Um, you can reach food deserts. Um, you know, we partner with, um, every table in LA, awesome business. Um, you know, putting, uh, you know, healthy fast food into, into parts of LA that don't typically have it. Um, doing that at a reduced price and subsidizing it with their other zip codes. And, you know, one of the top selling stores for us there is a content store. Um, you know, it's, it's hmm. been incredible to see you know, how quickly the product, um, what the uptake was there. And so, you know, that these are areas we want to be getting into as well. It's like, how do we get to places that, you know, people don't traditionally have access to a whole foods on their doorstep or, um, you know, how do we get them access to low sugar, nutrient diversity, fiber. And, um, you know, that's going to be really exciting for us in the next couple of years. This sounds like it, it almost rises to the level of a mission driven commitment. Like it, when I hear you talk about 
the impact that you're having and who's trying the product and, and, and what it's going to do in their lives. It's, it feels like it goes beyond we're an alternative to soda. It, it feels like there's a bigger mission that you're trying to accomplish in the world here. Is that, is that fair to say? 100%. Yeah. I mean, this is how Ben initially inspired me. You know, I was kind of like, I had a good career. It was a good company to work for. It paid, you know, well enough. And, um, I wasn't really very satisfied. I found at the end of it and I needed something else to get me out of bed in the morning. And I spoke to Ben about his mission to, you know, tackle digestive health as one of the key issues for, um, you know, Western consumers and, and people that he was seeing and he'd experienced himself. Um, and, you know, to put this in context, you know, the, as we found over the last decade, um, digestive health is a critical part of overall health. And, you know, more recently we've discovered that the real key is our diet, what we're eating. And if you look at, you know, our diet compared to that of hunter gatherers, which are considered to have optimal diet for digestive health. And there's still tribes in Asia and Africa that exist that are being studied by researchers like Justin Sonnenberg out of, out of Stanford. You know, and they found that our microbiome versus theirs, it shows that, you know, we've lost about 50% of the diversity and complexity of our gut microbiome in the last hundred years. Mm. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's very scary. Um, you know, there's three sort of reasons for that. One is our move from more rural to urban environments. We're exposed to less good bacteria. We're overusing antibiotics is another reason, but our diet is critical as well. And when you compare to hunter gatherer, they're consuming about 150 to 200 grams of dietary fiber in a day. We're getting 15 in the West. Mm. They consume about 1,500 different types of food in a year. We get 200 if we're lucky. Um, so this, you know, amount of dietary fiber, this nutrient diversity is key to a diverse, thriving gut microbiome. And, you know, processed food manufacturers, um, you know, actually strip fiber out of foods to extend shelf life because guess what? Uh, bacteria like to eat it. So if you want to have bread sitting on the shelf for, you know, five weeks, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's hard to have a lot of fiber in there. So, um, you know, for us, it's, it's absolutely a mission. Um, you know, our goal is to scale this, is to create a truly mainstream product um, and, you know, reach a lot of consumers. And the feedback we've been getting in the last year or so is has been incredible. You know, it's, it, you know, when you have to run through a wall or something or, you know, make a difficult decision or choice, um, you know, these are the sorts of things that keep you going. So I think, yeah, it's really important to have that vision and that mission that's driving you or else it's, it's really hard to, you know, have the stamina to keep, keep doing this because it's, you know, it, it is, uh, pretty exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I completely, um, get that. So one thing I, uh, let's get into some of the kind of nerdier, uh, brand strategy choices that you guys have made. And I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the idea that, the brand and its value proposition right now is appealing to lots of different consumers who are coming at it with slightly different needs from one another. Mm -hmm. And one school of thought in the world of building a brand is that you need a certain level of single mindedness in order to drive clarity of choices and drive the, the, the brand going forward. Uh, another school of thought is that you 
give consumers the power over the brand and you sort of throw a lot of ideas at them or you, you know, build a brand that can solve, that can do multiple jobs and you let the consumer vote and help you figure out which one is the, is, is the place to focus. Are you approaching building this brand in, in one of those two ways, or maybe those two frameworks don't even apply to how you're approaching it. And, and there's a completely different way you're thinking about it. I think both those frameworks are accurate. It depends on what you're building, right? So if you are building a completely new occasion, if you're trying to find a new, you know, it's a new space for a product, you need to be really focused to have, you know, the ability to cut through. Um, you know, we are not really, we're not really doing that. We're, we're kind of mapping soda. So those soda occasions already exist. Um, the, you know, two thirds of Americans are complaining of digestive distress. So mm-hmm. the need for, you know, uh, digestive solutions exists as well. So I think wh- what uh, matters in our case is just, you know, great products solve a lot of different issues and appeal to a lot of different people in my experience. Um, so, um, you know, I think provided, and again, you've got to understand the framework within which you're operating. So for us, it is, it's soda and, um, it's a soda occasion. It doesn't mean that I think when I chat to people, sometimes investors of that, they get a little bit confused between soda occasion and soda consumer. So, well, you're never going to convert the person that's drinking, you know, like a liter of soda a day. And, you know, that, that indeed may be challenging, but there's so many soda occasions, um, you know, people just picking up it once a week or, um, you know, different, different times of the day to, to go after here. And we're going to go deeper and deeper into that space, hopefully. But, um, you know, our vintage cola, for example, um, well, I mean, that's had a number of iterations. One, it started out as cinnamon cola, um, which, uh, we found was a little polarizing for people. They were like, hold on. I'm not sure if I like cinnamon. Other people thought it had like a fiery taste to it. Um, and we were like, no, it's just kind of like a regular cola taste. Um, so we changed the name to vintage cola. Um, recently we actually ran that as a quick sort of piece of consumer research. We turned around 24 hours on Instagram and, um, you know, the response was pretty, unanimous in terms of making that switch we also added a caffeine component we use green tea caffeine and alpha galangal extract to give you kind of an upgraded elevated lift versus you know pure caffeine um but equally really important you know if you're a if you're a cola drinker you expect in the main caffeine as, as part of that you're looking for it so if you leave that out that's going to be a big miss for consumers um so i think you know, for us, it's been really important to understand the dynamics of the category. Root beer has been a lot of fun because root beer has its own consumer group. It really is about nostalgia, and we've lent into that and uh, allowed people to celebrate the – we're not trying to say this is kind of – I think one of the mistakes we made initially on the concept and in the design, and if anybody wants to see it, you can go back on our Instagram and see the initial designs. Um, you know, we, we thought at that time it was, we've got all these amazing ingredients in here. We need to showcase them and we need to like find a way to show them on the can or whatever. And, um, and we tried and we tried with a really good design agency and they did a great job of executing the brief that we gave them. Um, and it really bombed. And, uh, we found that 
you know, people wanted something that was more clearly soda. Um, it needed to be colorful. It needed to be simple. It's kind of a, by the way, this is good for you. Um, not, uh, Hey, you know, do you want to drink some kudu root sort of thing? It's like, mm-hmm. there's not, it's not particularly appetizing for people. You know, it seems obvious now when you say it, but, um, so, you know, the ingredients are kind of a point of discovery. People look at it and they get that it's soda with a little bit of a difference. Um, but, um, you know, all these elements are like refreshment, fun, um, you know, a key sort of components of our, of our brand equity and personality. Yeah. One of the things that we, that we talk about a lot with our clients is this idea that, Anytime a consumer, any of us buy something, we're hiring it to do a job for us and we're probably firing something else. It's, you know, jobs to be done theory yep. that's got, mm-hmm. you, know, you can Google it and for folks in the audience who aren't familiar with it. And a lot of power can be unlocked when you get a really nuanced and precise understanding of the job you're being hired for. Mm-hmm. The hard part is that consumers are not ever transparent about the job description, you know, like mm-hmm. what, the reason that you and I could have decade long careers in the CPG industry is precisely because human beings are really hard to figure out, you know, like we don't just post the job description on the wall and say, I'm hiring for this. Yep. It, it has to be deduced and figured out. And I think that nuance on that you just described in terms of packaging 1.0 versus 2.0 of being clear about what it is that you're being hired for. It sounds like the the further into it you got, you're truly being hired for the nostalgia and the uplift and the the boost that soda occasions tend to bring. And then what's coming along for the ride is that it happens to not just be better for you, but it happens to be proactively good for your health. Yeah, it's like give me fun, give me refreshment, um, but take away the sugar um, take away the artificial ingredients and add some function. Um, and, um, again, you know, sort of, we looked at Halo Top a little bit at the time. I think, you know, that the way that brand leaned into, um, you know, indulgence, um, while being clear that it was low calorie, which is kind of the big, was a big issue or, you know, for, for consumers in the ice cream category. And then leaning into that indulgence and actually saying eat to the bottom of the tub. Um, it's sort of, even taking it a step further than, right. you know, kind of mainstream ice cream brands would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right on that sort of who you're hiring, firing. At Diageo, we are, we used to have a five W's sort of who, what, where, when, why that we'd work through for concept development. And then we added an instead of. I remember the mm-hmm. innovation director, Sil Seller at the time, sort of forcing that into the, into the mix and it was mm-hmm. critical because it's we critical. kept developing stuff thinking that everything was incremental mm-hmm. and it's like no it, actually consumers are going to be subbing this out for something else mm-hmm. what is it if you can understand what that is you know to your point you can really work against that occasion if you mm-hmm. don't understand what your job to be done is if you don't understand what you're substituting for if you don't understand the framework of the category that you're actually playing within then um it's going to be very difficult to change consumer behavior because you know large companies spend millions of dollars trying to get you know consumers to change from one type of diaper to the other and struggle to do it if you're really trying to shift consumer behavior in a dramatic way you have to understand you know the, the consumer framing on that or else you're not going to be successful. And for what it's worth, I, I, while you were, since you suggested looking back in Instagram at the original, um, packaging, it is quite a bit different. 
That's, yeah. it's remarkable <laughs> to look at those two side by side. I'll figure out how to put this in the, in the show notes or push it out in some other way for the audience. But yeah, you're right. Like it is really a different story that's being told and a different occasion that you're trying to win and, and a different substitute that you're trying to fire when I look at 1.0 versus 2.0. And we really felt like we were onto something with version 1.0. Right. And by the way, we raised our first convertible note off of that brand proposition. Yeah, it's not bad. It. It's not that it's bad at all. It's just <laughs> that it turns out to be a mismatch with what the consumer opportunity was. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I mean, these things always seem obvious in hindsight, but, um, yeah, navigating your way through that, that concept maze minefield is, uh, you know, is, is, is pretty challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me about Ollie Smart. So that is an ingredient that's in Olipop. I don't think I completely understand what role it plays and whether, you're building a platform around the idea of Ollie Smart, or like talk me through that. Yeah, it's um, it's really kind of the functional engine of our of our product. Um, we think that functional food and beverage in the future needs to have real scientific backing behind it. We've been very diligent on that. Ben has been working on it for you know a couple of years now. Um, we're excited to have partners like Dola come into the mix in our last round of, of funding to work with us on the ingredient base. We're also excited to have a health advisory board led by Joe Petrosino, who's one of the head guys on the Human Microbiome pro Project, mm -hmm. and also be partnering with Baylor Medical College as their only industry partner as we look to explore, you know, how these ingredients are working. So, you know, Ben is you know, fascinating the way that he approaches problem solving here. And, um, you know, he understood that nutrient diversity was important. Um, he understood that, um, you know, there is a complex array of things that your gut needs. It needs kind of fiber, just kind of like roughage for, you know, the integrity of the digestive tract. It needs prebiotics to feed the good bacteria and actually, probably needs plant mucolescence and things as well to reduce inflammation in the gut. Um, so all of these components are in our mix. Um, so, you know, we see some brands entering the space and it's just like a shikari bomb, basically. It's like one, and that's, that's kind of concerning because it's going to give you a lot of gas if you just kind of consume one form of prebiotic. Mm. Um, you know, if you don't consume a diverse range of things. And, um, so really, you know, we're not a, yeah, we, our focus in, is on digestive health holistically and, and how we best solve for that. And, and we're learning all the time. So the, the mix is probably going to change in the next three years or so. Um, as we learn more, um, yeah, we're sort of, it's fascinating. We're kind of leading the field now in the, the study of the reintroduction of fiber into the American diet. Um, and, you know, as we learn, we'll, we'll change and we have a transparent conversation with consumers to say, look, to the best of our knowledge and, and the people leading this industry and the lead nutritionist microbiologist this is the best mix of things that we can put together for your gut but as we learn more we'll change it out um and we'll look to do that in a way that's cost effective as well so we're not locking ourselves into a cost base that won't allow us to um you know keep producing this product at an accessible price point mm -hmm. so is this idea of improving digestive health through the introduction of fiber would it be accurate for for me to describe that as the platform that Olipop is building from? And so today, 
Olipop is executing that through the soda category, but it's some future state. Olipop could expand and execute that in frozen novelties or other places where there's a there's a need for a healthier analog to an indulgent occasion, or is that going too far? Like maybe you guys are super clear. We're building a beverage brand that's built on soda and that's, that's the ticket to the promised land. Yeah. I mean, I think our, our ambition right now is to see how big a chunk we can take out of the soda category. Um, you know, I know as well as anyone how hard innovation is. Mm-hmm. Um, we struggle to, you know, when you go into new category, when you innovate in new categories, it's hard. You know, you, you're asking Salesforce to do something different. You're asking your supply team to produce something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even from a tracking and metrics perspective, you're actually financing to, to deal with more complexity as well. So, um, I think it's, it's a tough thing for small startup businesses to innovate in multiple categories. Some, businesses have done it very well and and fair play to them um i i you know it does scare me a little bit and i I don't feel like it's fully necessary as well we've got a long road to go on on this concept and there's a lot we can do to dial it in make it better launch new flavors um so um yeah our ambition doesn't extend too much beyond that you know for us as a business right now but in theory yes i mean you know this ollie smart blend you could kind of put in anything i guess um you know we picked soda because you know we felt like it was you know ubiquitous category and and uh would allow us a great vehicle sort of trojan horse if you like to get nutrient diversity and fiber into people's diets and it's proving out to be the case you just closed the round of financing uh, and i wonder if you could um to, to sort of reflect back to a prior part of this conversation, one thing that I hear a lot from founders is who you raise money from, and obviously on what terms, but especially who you raise money from is a critical decision that's mm-hmm. easy to, you know, not spend a lot of time on either because you're searching for validation or you're desperate for cash or there's any number of reasons why folks kind of wind up mm-hmm. taking money from, from the wrong people. And, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to raise a pretty substantial round here recently, having been through that multiple times before. How did you make it? How was that decision making process different? What lessons had you learned previously that you applied this time? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think, you know, when you're doing this for the first time and you mentioned about my experience, you know, in, in a corporate setting and how that would help from a, you know, business fundamentals. And it certainly did, but it didn't help at all from a fundraising perspective. Mm. Um, that's entirely new. And, um, you know, there's this certain impatience to just kind of raise some cash and get on with it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, you, you don't realize until it kind of really smacks you in the face kind of how critical those decisions can be. And, you know, we've been very careful about where we've taken cash from and on what terms as we've gone through this process. Um, and it's, you know, it can be pretty tough. Like you can be running out of cash as you often are in a start of business and, you know, having to say no to something that you don't think is right. Um, you know, and we've had to do that at times and, um, it's kind of scary. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, but it is what it is. And, you know, again, once you've learned that lesson, you just know, okay, this will give me some short term relief here. I'll get some money in the bank, but I'm going to feel the pain long term for it and it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And so again, if you have confidence in what you're doing, 
you know, belief in, in the strength of your proposition and your team, um, you know, you will figure it out one way or the other. And, you know, you'll find those right partners. And we've been really fortunate with the people that we've been able to partner with. Um, I think what's critical is that, you know, they come in with humility as well. It's kind of a key criteria for anyone in our business, you know, ourselves in, included is core value for us. Um, no one's coming in thinking they've got all the answers and, and we don't think we do either, but we know that, you know, creating a team of people that are thoughtful, um, respectful, experienced, um, you know, it's amazing what you can navigate. And it's, it's really interesting to see now as we grow and we, we're very transparent with our investors. We show them everything, all of our financials. We pull them in on decisions. We had a big decision last week. We just kind of like called on one of our experienced investors and, um, you know, pulled him in and, um, you know, we hopped on the phone and like threw everything on the table and just hashed it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was really useful. Um, Pat Finney's just joined our board. I mean, we've known Pat for seven years now. Um, he wrote us one of our first checks on Obi. Um, he wrote us one of our first checks on Hollypop after helping us develop that concept. So he actually kind of partnered with us, helped us work through the concept, invested in it support our pivot and then has kind of continued to double down on it ever since. And yeah, that's a, that's a really amazing, um, you know, investor relationship. I mean, Pat's uh, quite a unique unique guy in the space, but, um, you know, really gets early stage, you know, you've got different investors for different stages. Pat's one that gets the early stage. Nothing really phases him too much when everything's kind of chaos. So we're telling him, Hey, you know, this brand you've just invested in, we don't think the branding's very good that we told you was really good and that you invested in. And now we're about to flip it out and we don't have time to print cans. So we're going to have to shrink around them all at a ridiculous cost before we go to market. And he just said, all right, this sounds crazy guys, but you know, I trust, you know, what you're doing and, um, you know, it was super supportive. And, um, so, you know, it's exciting to have him join the board and that's, that's it. It's three of us on the board now, you know, myself, Ben and, and Pat and, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have, you know, a, a group of people that believe in your mission. They believe in you as individuals and your team. Um, and, you know, they've got some value to add themselves. And, um, you know, it can be a, it can be a great, great experience as well. And it, it has been for us. Amazing. So to close this out, um, I know that there's a lot of folks in the audience who, are trying to disrupt the mature category. And you've not only done that with this brand, my sense is that you might even have some experience with that from your innovation days previously, just that like what it takes to pull that off. Is there any parting advice that you would offer to the folks in the audience who like you are taking on a big mature category and they're, and they're trying to be a disruptive force within it? Yeah, I mean, well, for context, I'll say we're a long way from kind of disrupting the category yet, but, um, I'm pleased with the, with the start that we've made. Um, and, um, you know, the road ahead of us. But, um, I think the key thing for me, if you are going to disrupt a large category, and again, this is actually going back to advice I got from Sil Seller, our innovation director in my, in my Diacho marketing days was, um, break one rule and break it hard. And keep everything else consistent. If you're trying to break too many rules, you're going to disorientate the consumer. So, um, you know, if you look at any successful disruptor, you probably find that to be the case. Look at the rule and look what they've broken hard. So for us, it's the ingredients panel. 
like everything else is the same. Like this looks like a soda. It's called Ollie Pop. Um, it even sounds like a soda. The flavors are soda flavors. It's cream soda and root beer and um, everything else. And the way it's marketed is very similar. We've just changed out the ingredients and we've changed them out in a very dramatic fashion. Right. Um, you know, including calendula, kudzu, slippery elm, nine grams of dietary fiber. Mm. Um, you know, that's a major departure. Um, and, you know, I think that's, and, and I think when you disrupt, understand, where where the consumer is looking for that disruption like the macro data was really clear consumers wanted less sugar no artificial ingredients and function and so you know that's that's the rule that we broke hard and and everything else we're we're kind of leaning into so that would that would kind of be the one the one bit of advice i would have excellent excellent well, David, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. This is going to be incredibly valuable. Plus, it was a special treat for me because you built a brand that that resonated with me deeply. So uh, thank you for the time. Thanks so much, mate. Yeah, it was great chance you. Thank you for listening to Brand New Blueprint. If you want help or additional tools to apply what you learned in this episode, just text the word BLUEPRINT to 66866. This podcast is a production of Smoketown, a boutique consultancy that helps emerging brands reach their growth potential. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to get the latest one. And a big thank you to the regulars for the beats. Beats.